Welcome to What Book Hooked You, the podcast where we have conversations with creative people about the books that have had an impact in their lives. I'm Brock Shelley. Thanks for listening. This is episode number six, and in this episode, I talk to J.C. Davis. J.C. is the author of Jesus Was Here. That's Jesus as in cheese. And you're going to find out why that is in just a bit. Great conversation with JC uh, and just a great sort of story about her path um, from being a book lover all her life to becoming a published writer. So listen in. So JC, what book hooked you? So I've always been a reader um, since I was little. <laughs> but the thing that got me writing was actually Harry Potter. And mainly because I came into the fandom between books four and five, and that was this huge three-year gap. So I resisted reading those books forever and ever because I was like, oh, it's just hyped. I'm not going to read them, blah, blah, blah. And then I watched the first movie, and I was like, wow, that was really, really good. I wonder if the books are better because, you know, usually books are better than movies. Mm -hmm. And I read the first one in a day, and then the next day I read the second, and then the third, and then the fourth, and then nothing. Right. And I was very, very sad. Mm-hmm. So I went online and I found uh, fan fiction and started reading that. And then I was like, I bet I could write this. So I started writing fan fiction and got really good feedback. And so after I wrote a novel-length fan fiction and proved to myself that I could do that, I had enough confidence to start writing my own original work. So Harry Potter kind of started everything for me. And that was... When I was um, out of college already, so I started writing kind of late. I wasn't one of those people who knew I wanted to be an author when I was like five. What were you typically reading uh, before that, before you got into Harry Potter? Well, I started with like your standard kids books. I think I read every book Christopher Pike ever wrote. Um, Way back in the day, it was Dean Koontz. Mm-hmm. And, and well, Dean Koontz for adult horror, but um, R.L. Stein, right? All the goosebumps. Right, right. But then there was also Christopher Pike, who was writing like the horror ones, but slightly skewed older for like late middle grade YA crowd. And so I fell in love with those books. I loved the twistiness and mm-hmm. all of that. And I loved ghost stories. I still have a soft spot for ghost stories, but <laughs> all of them, I think... The Headless Cupid. Um, there was one about a ghost in a movie theater, or actually it was an actual theater. All of those. I read tons and tons and tons and tons and tons of them. And then when I was a little older in middle grade, I started, I ran through all of those books, and my mom had a collection of romance novels. My mom is a huge reader too. Mm-hmm. So our house was always filled with books. And I pretty much worked my way through every book that we owned. Um, so in sixth grade, I was bringing racy romance novels to school. And what were your teachers saying? Uh, I don't think they were too amused, but they didn't <laughs> say anything. I got a lot of crap from the other kids, though. Right. And obviously quite a different education than what you were getting Oh, yes. School. Yes. Nobody had to give me the birds and the bees uh, talk. <laughs> I bet. I bet. And so... 
But, you know, it looks like the common theme for when you were real little was that you were into kind of what would be deemed for that grade scarier things, I'd say. Is that is that correct? Yeah, mostly. The, um, did I did read some other things like Bridge to Terabithia is still one of my favorite books ever. And um, Tuck Everlasting has always been one of my favorites since I was probably, I think I read that in sixth grade. But we didn't get too many uh, like Babysitter's Club or any of those books worked into no, the mix. I was never a Babysitter's Club girl. I think I probably would have gone more Nancy Drew, but right. didn't know. And so, what when it came to, you know, it sounds like you were a very avid reader. Were you also when books were assigned in class? Did you have the same kind of enthusiasm for? assigned books versus books you kind of did for your own enjoyment? I had enthusiasm for books that I got to pick off of reading lists. When we were assigned a specific book, that wasn't usually fun. I think um, I will never, ever forgive my seventh grade English teacher for making me read Ethan Frome. I'm still mentally scarred today. Ethan Frome? I don't think that's a book I'm familiar with, I don't think. Oh, uh, classic. Um, it is horrific. <laughs> and Billy Budd, we had to read yes, Billy Budd. Yes, yes, yes. Melville, yes. Mental scars from that one, too. Red Badge of Courage. Yeah, classics aren't my thing. Apparently, I'm just not not my thing. My husband loves to read um, the classic classics. Like, he'll read Dracula and Frankenstein. Mm-hmm. And I love the ideas behind them. But the prose is so different from what we read today that it's harder for me to get into and connect with the stories. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, in middle grade, you're reading romance novels with some, a few other books mixed in. Then once in high school, where did you kind of, what was the common books that, that uh, you were reading and really getting into around that time? So there's this whole series of books, the Laureline McDaniel wrote, like all of those horrible, like all the books about, you know, teenagers who die, they fall in love and they die. Mm-hmm. Um, all of those. <laughs> I read many, many a Laureline McDaniels book, but also I fell in love with um, classic love stories too. Cyrano de Bergerac, we read that mm-hmm. play in class and that's a play I still own and will read occasionally because I loved it so much. And Much Ado About Nothing was also pretty dang awesome and funny um so i did read some classics but again lots of christopher pike was still pretty active when i was in high school so i do think he wrote and that general genre i think there was also oh murder mystery ones for teenagers though right and and along that ilk say goodnight gracie was a book that i really loved all of the ones that kind of jerk on your heartstrings. And so, again, we're kind of revisiting some of uh, some darker themes a little bit. Did that kind of match? Did you were you kind of an angsty teenager uh, at all that that you were reading these types of books? No, I was um, the biggest schoolgirl that's ever lived. <laughs> I was uh, I was you know a nerd. 
those were my people. I was right. hanging out with the nerds and the artists, which was kind of weird because they're not two groups that always mix. Sure. But I kind of gravitated between the art room and then the super nerds all trying to get our 4.0 GPAs and be top of the class. I was not valedictorian for the record, <laughs> but I was top 10%. So that was pretty decent. Yeah. But we... um. Yeah, I was I was with the nerds. I was so well behaved. My mom actually, when I was a senior in high school, she moved to Japan in the middle of my senior year and she gave me two options. She said, well, you can stay here and live on your own in the house and I'll give you a checkbook and there'll be money and you can pay the bills and live on your own and finish out your school year here or you can come with me to Japan and finish out your senior year there. And so I didn't want to leave all of my friends. I had gone to the same high school for four years. So I stayed alone, living living in this house all by myself. Not one party did I throw. Not one. Wow. She, I mean, she was right. I was way too well behaved and studied. And did you have I think a... I misspent my teenage years. Well, maybe not. But I mean, that's definitely probably much more maturity, I would say, than than most teenagers would have had. You're obviously, you you know, you studied hard. You really applied yourself in high school. So uh, when you went to college, was there a debate on what you wanted to study or where you wanted to, to go as far as uh, for your future? I went into college as a French major. I don't know what I was thinking. It took one semester for me to figure out that I did not want to teach high school French, which was pretty much the only thing that you can do with a French major. Mm -hmm. For some reason, I thought I could be an interpreter. I don't know why, but one semester cured me of that. And I came in with a semester already from advanced AP credits. Right. I didn't want to lose that whole year that I had. So I went through the course book being oh so mature and was like, what can I do that doesn't make me have to take a bunch of new prerequisites, but that I won't hate for the rest of my life? <laughs> <laughs> the only thing that sounded slightly appealing was advertising. Because, you know, I thought, ooh, advertising. Yeah. That'll be interesting. So I became a journalism and mass communications major. There was not a lot of advertising at first, but many, many reporting <laughs> stories. And so, and is, and is that, uh, any of that journalism, is that anything that you then pursued after you graduated? No, I actually did end up in advertising. I, I graduated from undergrad and decided that I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. I wasn't ready to face the world. I was like, oh my gosh, I can't even. So I went to grad school because why not? Sure. So I have a master's in advertising. And I actually do work in an ad agency, but not doing what I went to school for. I'm a programmer. Okay. So I kind of am in my industry, but not. Sure. And did you think part of the reason that you went in to get your master's right away is just because, you know, you always excelled in school? That was always something that you liked to do. And so you didn't, you didn't know what to do with if you weren't in school? Maybe. I just couldn't face the world yet. Sure. I didn't want to have to go out and get a job because I couldn't figure out where I was going to go. Like as, if you're an undergrad and you have an advertising degree, then you're working low level at an ad agency. And none of the ad agencies that I could have landed at, I wanted. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. I just wanted extra time to decide what to do with my life, which worked out really well because I got my first job straight out of college because of the advertising program I was in. And so do you think uh, your studies and your experience uh, with advertising and, and the classwork that you did in journalism then went on to benefit you uh, when you got serious about being a writer? It helped with the mechanics because um, journalism mass comm, you, you have to take a GSP, grammar, spelling, punctuation test. Mm-hmm. And there's definitely a, an emphasis on making sure that you know how to structure a proper sentence and be concise. And so those aspects really did help. But I kind of learned more. Fan fiction was awesome because it let me learn and it provided a safe way for me to do it because that sandbox was already there. Sure. All of the world details, the audience was already there. Also, instant feedback. That's a heady, heady thing when you're a baby writer. Right, right. And um, I I wrote some truly horrible things to start with (laughs) and learned and wrote better things. Uh, The first craft book that I really read was self-editing for fiction writers. And that book was phenomenal. It really, really helped improve my writing overall because it made me pay attention to so many little details that I hadn't paid attention to before. And so, you know, and you make a great point uh, that fan fiction, you kind of have those characters, you don't have to come up with them yourselves. And then you can kind of, you know, it's almost like you're driving somebody else's car that you don't have to pay for. Um, So at what point then do you decide to kind of go away from fan fiction and create, you know, your own characters and your own worlds? Uh, At what point did you feel that you had the skills and the confidence to do that? Well, I started out writing original characters set in the world of Harry Potter. Okay. So I never wanted to play with other people's characters so much. I just really wanted to play with her world. And I also really loved, I was in a writing group for a bunch of fan fiction writers. There are 10 of us. And we'd borrow each other's characters and write collaborative stories. And that was fascinating to me. But they'd be you know, original characters set in that world. So I always kind of had my own voices talking in my head. Right. They just wanted to play in somebody else's sandbox. That's interesting. Um, I got the confidence to, to write original fiction after I finished a novel length fan fiction. So it was, I want to say 60,000 words Mm -hmm. and it was a cohesive story And I got really good feedback on it. And so I felt confident enough and I had a a lot of ideas. And so I finally started writing on that. And that book is locked in a drawer guarded by attract trolls and it will (laughs) never see the light of day. And is this the fan fiction one or is this one that you're totally No, my first original fiction book. (laughs) And so when you started off, though, doing your own, uh, was the dream to be published? Yeah, absolutely. And And fan fiction was fun, but I also wanted to be able to hold a a real book in my hands that had my name on it because I love books so much. I'm like a huge bibliophile. I read tons of books a year. I think I average about a hundred books a year right now. Wow. Before I, yeah, 
What's sad is that's a huge scale down. Before I had my kids, I averaged 250 a year. My goodness. Yeah. So when I say I'm like a huge bibliophile, I'm not joking. I adore books. Um, Let me ask you this. Sure. Because you read so many books, do you keep track or have you ever started a book, gotten maybe 20 pages in and realized, oh, I've read this book before? Yes. What gets me is the cover changes. Uh, like okay. Publishers will put out a new a book with a new cover and it'll be all pretty and shiny and new. And I'll be like, ooh, and I'll buy it and get a chapter in and be like, wait a minute. And <laughs> when it comes to your what you choose to read, do you read very broadly or do you stick to just certain genres? I read fairly broad. But um, when I started writing, I became a more discriminating reader. Okay. How so? so? I pay attention more to uh, the books now. Structure matters to me, like plot and pacing and characters and world building and language matters a lot more to me when I'm reading now. I just fall in love with all of that. And so what I was reading changed a lot. I started reading a ton of YA and I still read a lot of YA and children's books. And um, I also love urban fantasy. I read a lot of urban fantasy. I read a little bit of romance now, but not much. Mm-hmm. So going back to this book that's locked and guarded by trolls, when after you had finished that one, did you try to do anything with it? Did you try to send it out or... Or did you know right away that it wasn't something that was ready to go out? I had critique partners, and um, they were very nice. And they were like, oh, it's great. No, you should definitely query this. And so I pitched that book to one person. It was in person, and it was Joanna Volpe. And I'm probably butchering her last name. I'm so sorry. But she was um, Veronica Roth's agent. Okay. And she was at a writing, not a writing conference. She was at a Harry Potter conference. And I was also at the Harry Potter conference. And so she was taking pitches. You could do a quick 10 minute pitch session. And so I pitched her in person and uh, was turned down very nicely. But we met later that evening at a like mixer Mm -hmm. and got to talking books because seriously, (laughs) I will talk books all night. Sure. And we started like talking about favorite books that, you know, don't get enough love. And we had several in common and just were chatting and chatting. And so she was like, yeah, you know what? Go ahead and send me your first chapter. And I was like, oh, my goodness. And I was convinced this was going to be it. And I sent her my first chapter and she sent the sweetest rejection letter that was like, this is really good, but it's a little too close to a project that I already have. Mm-hmm. So at that point, you know, first First real query, I was crushed and my dreams were never going to happen. So my novel got locked in a drawer and I started on the next one. Um, And it stayed locked in a drawer because after writing my next novel, I realized the issues that the first one had. And And it still has a place in my heart and I will probably go revise it one day, but not for a while. Well, and what do you think those issues were uh, just kind of generally? Trying to do too much, it's a series, the book would be a series, and I was trying to cram too much 
into the first book. And I also had multiple viewpoint characters, three different viewpoint characters. I'm not sure that I would keep that. I would probably go to two at most. And I would definitely work on the pacing. It dragged on too much. Mm-hmm. It just needs a lot of editing. And the world building is there because like rolling, I fell in love with this whole idea of building your world and every little minute detail. And so I went as far as I wrote a language for uh, that world and I still have the language and I still know how to write it. Wow. And so, but that book's locked away now. What, yep. what, be, what was the next project? So the next project actually was Jesus was here. Okay. And so Jesus was here. This is your debut. Can you briefly kind of summarize what's, what's this book about? So it's about a tiny Texas town where crazy miracles happen and a girl who's trying to prove that they're fake. And the very first miracle is the image of baby Jesus inside a baby bell cheese wheel, which is why it's called Jesus was here because it becomes known as baby Jesus. Gotcha. And what was, what was the spark or what first gave you the idea for this book? There was an article about a grilled cheese sandwich with a bite out of it that had the image of Jesus on it that sold on eBay for, I think, $28,000, Yeah, I think, something close to that. I think I remember that. I think I remember that. It was in the news. It was like this big thing, and right. I was fascinated. I was like, what the heck? And I'm one of those people who I, I love to research. So when something catches my attention, I will start digging. And I started digging and found that there were all of these different food miracles, right? The very first one was the image of Jesus on a tortilla that was found in 1977 in New Mexico. And this woman was cooking her husband's breakfast burrito. And she's cooking the tortilla in the pan and she flips it over and she sees the image of Jesus and so he didn't get his burrito that morning. Right. Obviously she not. kept the tortilla. And she actually built a little shrine for this tortilla. And the shrine was in her backyard in a, in a shed. And in the first two years, now remember, this is 1977. This is before social media. This is before mass media for the most part. But in that first two years, 35,000 people visited that tortilla and made a pilgrimage to see it. And it was actually, you could still visit the Shrine of the Holy Tortilla right up until I believe it's 2012, when her granddaughter took it to school for show and tell, and unfortunately, it got smashed. Oh my. Yes, so there is no more Shrine of the Holy Tortilla. But there's this whole weird cult about religious-related foods. And... It just got me thinking, what would happen if one of these cropped up in a little tiny Texas town? I live in Texas. We are the buckle on the Bible belt. There is a church on every corner. If you go to a little town, that's heightened even more. So I thought, what if there was this little town that's like super, super, super religious and one of these signs showed up? Would people believe it? What if more than one showed up and it all went crazy from there? And then what if somebody didn't believe it, what would happen? And the story grew out of all of that. And so how long did this book from that 
from reading that article about the grilled cheese till you had it ready to send out uh, to agents? Well, how long was that process? Terribly, terribly long. Um, in between my writing, I had two children, and both of my children are health challenged, mm -hmm. is the nicest way to put it. They both have serious medical issues. So my writing and reading time disappeared. And it took me years to get back to it and to get to a place where I could write again. So quite a while. But I started querying Jesus in 2014. That's when I got serious and started sending out queries. And I did tons of contests in 2014, tons of them. And I had a good request rate and a lot of really great responses. And I think six months Six months after I started querying, I signed with my agent, Mandy Hubbard, and that was awesome. She's one of my dream agents from the beginning, so I was so thrilled that I get to work with her. Excellent. And so in those, in those years that you were, you were working on this when you could, what was the biggest struggle or the biggest obstacle that you had within the book? Not necessarily your outside, you know, your real life obstacles. But when it came to writing, what was the biggest obstacle that you faced or the biggest challenge? Probably that I was a pantser. <laughs> so I was just sort of writing on the book whenever I got the chance. And I was posting chapters on a site called Scribafile, um, which is a really good writing community where you can post work for critique and you get critiques and you give critiques. But it became episodic because I was writing and posting it that way. So I would post a fully contained chapter. And then, you know, five chapters later, there would be things that contradicted each other mm -hmm. because it might have been a while since I posted. And having to pull it all together was a lot of work. And I also had pacing issues. So... Cleaning that up later, I, I read a lot of craft books and applied a lot of that to the book to help clean it up and get it to where it needed to be. And so, you know, after all that work, you know, you, you've got the agent and uh, what was it like the day your agent got to tell you that uh, Jesus was here, uh, had sold? So I actually got to hear those words twice because my book sold within a month of going on sub the first time and it was exciting and awesome. And I joined a debut group and started on my edits and that lasted about mm, three or four months. And then my book deal fell through. Wow. Um, yeah, it was unfortunate. It wasn't the publisher's fault. There were, things going on at the time with the publisher that just made it so that that contract never happened. And so we went back out on sub and it took quite a while to sell <laughs> the second time, which I was getting worried that we'd have to shelve the book and very sad. And then we got an offer from Sky Pony and I was just utterly thrilled. And I think I appreciated it even more the second time because I had gone through that. So every step of the process just 
has been amazing because I know that it might not have happened. What do you think has been uh, your biggest takeaway from just this entire process, from writing, from getting the agent, and then, you know, thinking it sold and it didn't? Like, what do you think is the biggest lesson in all of that that you've learned? I've heard some amazing authors speak at various conferences. And one thing that they all have in common is that they will tell any aspiring published, you know, any aspiring author who wants to be published, traditionally published, that persistence is the most important thing. It's the most important skill that any writer should have. You just have to keep trying and not give up. And if that means you shelve five books before your book sells, then unfortunately you shelve five books. You just keep writing. No matter what's going on, no matter if you're querying, you just keep writing. Write the next book. And are you writing the next book? I am. I am epically slow, however. <laughs> So, like, not George R. R. Martin slow, but right. I am not a speedy writer. I have friends who are amazing. They can write just a fantastic book that will leave you entranced, and they can write it in a month or two, and it's spectacular, and I'm so terribly envious. I take quite a long while to write, so and it it's going to be like, a bit. And it sounds like, you know, throughout – your journey as a writer, you've always sought out various different communities to kind of help you and encourage you along the way. Uh, mm -hmm. Has that sort of been a vital aspect in all of this? It really has. I know people say that writing is solitary, and that's true to a certain extent, but it doesn't have to be. I think that having one, I think anybody who's writing should have critique partners. Like, even New York Times best-selling authors who have 50 books under their belt, I am sure that they have critique partners who read their first drafts. And if they don't, they probably should. <laughs> but <laughs> it's, it's so important to get somebody else's perspective because when you're so close to the work, you can't see the flaws. And there are assumptions that you make that you think, oh, no, I communicated that. Well, no, you didn't because it's in your head but the reader doesn't necessarily get it. So critique partners are, are amazing and awesome. And the writing community in general can be very supportive and great. The YA community is, if you find your niche within it, very good. And it feels like it's small, but it's also huge, which makes no sense, but you right. see the same author names crop up and it's when you walk into a bookstore and you get to see people's names that you've chatted with on Twitter for two years. It's an amazing feeling because you're walking in and you're with friends at the bookstore. <laughs> That's great. Uh, so just a few questions as we finish up. The first one is, what is your favorite movie based on a book? Hmm. That is a tough one. You're, you think I'm going to say Harry Potter, don't you? Actually, uh, I, sh I should have prefaced that I won't allow you to say Harry Potter. <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to go with Harry Potter. Um, my favorite movie based on a book. So can I ask a clarifying question? Absolutely. Do they have to have done it well? No, not at all. I'm going to go with something crazy. 
somewhere in time. It is this schmaltzy romance movie that came out in the 80s. Starred Christopher Reeve and Jane Seymour. And it's about a guy who goes back in time and falls in love. And sort of it's like this star-crossed love story. And it has my favorite music in the entire world, which is Rhapsody on a Theme of Paganini. And I adore that movie. I know that it's cheesy, but I love every second of it. And the book that it's based on is Bid Time Return by Richard Matheson which is quite different from the movie, but spectacular in its own right. Okay, next question. And you, we've sort of hit on this, so I don't know if you would have any more to add, but what piece of classic literature that everyone loves and hails do you absolutely hate? <laughs> um. The loves and inhales part, I don't know about that. Um, Hate is a strong word. I don't hate it, but I feel like at least 75% of my friends are in love with Jane Austen. And I am so ashamed to admit that I do not love Jane Austen novels. (laughs) I feel like I should. I want to. But I just don't. You just can't get on board. I just can't get on board, which is so sad. Now, all right, so the last question might be a hard question for you, given how much you read. But what is the last great book that you've read? Oh, you know what? That's actually going to be easy. And it's going to be one that a lot of people are reading right this moment, The Hate You Give. Yes. That is such a phenomenal book. So many points in that book I just pause and have to reread the words and drink them in because those characters feel so real it doesn't feel like you're reading a book it feels like they're there with you and Angie Thomas is amazing she has a way of drawing you into that story that is just phenomenal great yeah I've heard nothing but good things and I'm, I'm waiting to read it it's on my summer read list I think you're going to love it. It's it's a hard book. It's not an easy book. But, and, you know, hopefully it makes you feel outraged and empowered and all of those things. But it's a book that makes you feel. And I think that's what great literature does, is it makes you feel something inside. That's great. And that's a great place to end. Uh, so, J.C. Davis, thanks so much for being on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. That does it for another episode of What Book Hooked You. Special thanks to J.C. Davis. Go ahead and check out Jesus Was Here. And if you want to check out any other books that she mentioned, you can go to brockshaley.com. Take a look at the show notes. I have links to all the books that we talked about. Thanks to everyone that has uh, reached out. And if you would like to contact me for any reason, you can also find a contact form on brockshaley.com. I'd love to hear from you, and I will respond. Until next time. Keep reading.